0: General Mills presents a very special episode of Three Squares. It's got to be a little more, buddy. Come on.
2: Pretend Tootie's your daughter who just, you found drugs.
0: <laughs> General Mills presents. I don't, I don't know how to do that. I don't know how to do that. I don't know. I don't, I don't have a daughter named Tootie. Can't, I'm not Mr. Drummond. Or no, that's not even the right show.
2: I don't have a daughter named Tootie and I'm not Mr. Drummond. Oh.
0: <laughs> on today's
1: very special episode of Three Squares.
2: We have Mike Wolf, the editor, publisher, creator of The Spoon, leading blog for food tech, coming to us with the top five innovations he sees in the food tech space.
1: And just to add drama, we're pitting Mike against Kevin. This competition will determine who leads the innovation space. Charlie, what are you talking about?
0: This is is not an '80s sitcom. (laughs) Oh! I was raised in the time of facts of life and different strokes. And when I hear very special episodes, it's
1: a soap opera, not a sitcom. Come on.
0: Okay, Mm -hmm. we're not pitting ourselves against each other. I'm going to stop this right now.
2: (laughs) I'm pitting you against each other. Yeah, it's more fun that way. Absolutely, I get to judge the innovation ideas that Mike Wolf and Kevin Ryan are going to put forth on this very special episode. Our very special episode with Mike Wolf of The Spoon is next.
3: At General Mills, we know it's not just what we make, but how we make it that matters. We take care in selecting the ingredients behind our beloved brands, such as Cheerios, Nature Valley, Old El Paso, Haagen-Dazs, and Annie's. And we go further by working every day to alleviate hunger, slow climate change, and strengthen communities. Today, that's what it means to make food the world loves. Learn more at GeneralMills.com.
2: Kevin and Charlie, we have Mike Wolf, CEO and founder, publisher, editor in chief of The Spoon with us today. Hi Mike. Hey guys, so
3: good to be on the show. Yeah. This this podcast has been great, by the way. Oh,
2: thank you. We're we're so excited to have you on because as I think you're aware, Kevin spends his time working with clients, understanding innovation, and Mike, you are on the leading edge of hosting events and blogging about uh, food tech innovation. So Charlie and I thought it would be fantastic if we go back and forth with some of the mind blowing and interesting tech that you're seeing in your respective spaces. And then, you know, maybe Charlie and I'll just sit back and be judgy about it and see... Who can come up with uh, better things? But yeah, we want to we want to talk today about innovation uh, with you.
0: They want to make it a tech off, and it's not it's not going to happen. An innovation <laughs> off. They they made this uh, a, like a game show. Exactly. Yeah. In a tech off, I would never win against you, Mike. So there, there's no no competition here. So it's an
2: innovation off.
0: Okay, innovation off is. Different. I think you could do this. How about just the innovation uh, review? We're going to review what we both find interesting. Well, that sounds too <laughs> academic and boring.
2: <laughs> Look, Charlie, let's let's let them start, and then you and I can make a buzzer sound if you're not happy. Okay, we'll, that works. That works. okay. All right. So, so Mike, why don't we start with you? Um, share with us something that really has caught your your attention in the food tech space. Looking
1: for like the top five, right? So we'll start one at a time and go back and forth.
3: Yeah, I mean, you know, one of the most interesting new products that I've seen teased is this uh, thing called the Canada Beverage Printer. It was basically the idea of a guy named Dave Freiberg. He came out of Google and started one of the first big ag tech companies. And he's having dinner one night with some scientists after reading a journal about how this, you know, 2% of any beverage is flavor molecules. The rest of it is water, sugar, carbonation, alcohol. And he started talking to these uh, these guys at dinner and said, you know, what we should why haven't we made like the Star Trek beverage replicator? Kind of just joking, like it was a meme. And then by the time dinner is done, after they drink a couple of bottles of wine, they committed to actually making this thing. Uh, earlier this year, they introduced this concept of the basically the, the Canna beverage printer. They have a CEO for the company. It's spun out of Dave Freiberg's incubate, innovation hub. It'll make any drink, alcohol, uh, soda, coffee, uh, you name it. All you add is the water. They send you basically a cartridge every month. It has alcohol in it. It has flavor molecules. It has sweeteners. And you basically can print drinks. So Mm. to me, it's kind of mind-boggling. Like if we can actually ship small cartridges of flavorings rather than tons of liquids everywhere, I think that's a pretty innovative idea.
0: I think of it as like the home version of Freestyle, right? Like the Coke Freestyle. Mm. But even in more advanced, I think what would be really interesting about that is if they could bring data back from that, right? Like what people are creating and then, you know, how that might influence whoever, you know, if if it's a coke or if it's it's someone else that could get data back from that. That would be really interesting to see what what people are constantly creating uh to you know influence future development.
2: Is it a connected device?
3: Yeah I think it's connected and like you could share your beverages. Like so like this idea of Kevin of like the the freestyle is right on. Yeah. But think of a freestyle with like alcohol, beer yeah. Soda, coffee drinks, in addition to just like a soda. That's dangerous. It's amazing. Is it available
0: yet? I think there you have at least another year or two at Feldman. Okay, Kevin, he's thrown
1: down the gauntlet.
2: That's a pretty good one.
0: (laughs) Well, mine is not as cool. My first one here is not as cool, but I think it has a has a really big influence, and it's uh, freshy. They're testing out virtual workers in Ontario, Mm. who, when you go up to the cash register to pay, it's a virtual worker from Nicaragua. Who checks you out? I mean, you've seen this in, you know, outsourcing other things within corporations, but the idea of using virtual workers for cashiers, that's an interesting approach. And I'm curious whether or not we're going to see it in other parts or, you know, of course there may be yeah. uh, pushback.
2: What's the interface? I'm having a hard time getting my head around this.
0: At least from what I've seen, a camera and a screen and the cashier pops up mm. and, uh, you know, he or she is checking you, checking you out.
3: There's a company called Bite Ninja that's doing the same thing for drive-through. What's interesting about that is if you look at like the workflow of a, a a drive-through worker or a cashier, like they're they're underutilized like half of their shift. They're spending just a lot of downtime. Exactly. Yeah. But imagine if you have like a, a, a worker, maybe it's a work at home mom, mm-hmm. who could man a drive-through shift uh, in 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 Seattle. In Arizona and Minnesota, all during an eight-hour shift or a four-hour shift,
0: um, you could have her doing uptime the whole time. That could really change the industry when it comes to who has workers, who doesn't have workers.
2: Okay, so I don't know how to call that one, Charlie. Those were both quite good.
0: There you go. Mike's was better. (laughs) Mike's was better? Mike's was better.
1: Okay, all right. Kevin's is interesting, but Mike's was better. Why do they have to be better? (laughs)
2: <laughs> yeah,
3: it's like you're. I kind of. I feel like you're objectifying us. I feel like I'm on. Uh...
1: Thank you. Mike's involved alcohol, so there you go. <laughs> Thank you.
3: Exactly.
2: Let Let Charlie and I enjoy ourselves. This is like the tech version of like Zuckerberg's hot or
3: not. Like I, I feel like <laughs> right.
2: <laughs> no,
1: exactly. No.
2: <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna say, I'm gonna call that for me. That was even. That was even. Right.
3: I feel objectified. Well, I'm sure it happens to you frequently.
2: <laughs> you know what? You know what? Get used to it.
3: Am I next? You're up. I'm going to uh, move into like the home uh, and uh, look at another topic, you know, 40% of food is thrown out in the home. And one of the things that's always bugged me about like innovation in the kitchen is like there's been so little innovation around like food storage. There's a couple companies working on reinventing Tupperware. One of them is called Uvera, fresh airlocked food container that basically can extend the life up to three X. They also have UV lighting to kill built in to kill bacteria. And then there's another company out of the UK called Black Bear. In that it includes essentially an electronic nose, but very low cost, low profile, not really expensive to detect essentially gas being emitted from the food. If we could just bring a little more innovation technology to the way we store our food. I think that's good. And these are two companies that are doing it.
0: Are they connected like to the, you know, a connected kitchen in the sense of, hey, your your food's about ready to go bad or, you know, you should order more or you should use it or here's how to use it. Ultimately, what you probably need is it uh, maybe also plugging into other
3: recipe or, or food management apps. Um, I don't yes. think we want to kind of. Yeah.
2: Otherwise, you're just stressing me out. Yeah. <laughs> you're just stressing me out.
0: All right. Mine is, uh, because Mike mentioned electronic noses, mine is a new development in electronic noses out of Australia. So the University of Australia Technology developed a new electronic nose, which they call, I'm not sure how you pronounce it, I guess just nose, N-O-S dot E. It claims that they can tell the difference. Uh, in whiskeys, so here I'm. I'm. I'm plugging a, a, a alcohol, Charlie. Uh, it can tell the difference between the brand, the region, and the style of whiskeys in seconds. What? Wow! Which is that? If that's true, and they're saying they get a hundred percent accuracy on region. accuracy on brand and 92% on style of whiskey. I know and I've done a little bit of work with electronic noses. No one had ever gotten that sophisticated, that ability to tell the difference between brands and regions. There are so many different things you could do and it could not only help a producer uh, detecting fake versions or some adulterated, especially because it comes from alcohol.
2: Is it portable? Can I go to the bar and make sure that they gave me top shelf instead of the well?
0: Exactly. Watered down. So I think at this point, I th- still think it's not uh, available for for use, but the technology now apparently is there. So Interesting. I'd be curious in terms
1: of the economic impact of, of fraud and liquor. I know it's big in wine, and I didn't know that it, I don't know the economic consequences in liquor. It's interesting. might have next. Go, Mike, go. Yeah.
2: Since you're not letting us judge you, go for it. <laughs>
3: <laughs> <laughs> Returning to the the theme of, of new um, kind of gig economy models or more a Airbnb style model, there's a company I wrote about last week called Tulu that is basically creating uh, a two sided sharing marketplace for home appliances. The younger generation is rethinking ownership models. Do I really need to own everything? Like us Gen Xers and the baby boomers, like we had to buy everything. We're just all about accumulate, accumulation. We're super shallow, but our kids. Thank goodness they're less shallow than us. <laughs> Susan's shaking her
2: head. What? Um. <laughs> I don't own that as a Gen Xer. I'm a shallow. Okay.
1: Queen Queen of Tesla. Come on now.
3: Really? I'm generalizing. It's cool. I'm generalizing. The headline I wrote is an Airbnb for air, for air fryers. Like if so, if you want to rent it by the day for by the week, don't have to own it. And there's other appliances you can rent. Uh, if I lived in a condo or an apartment, I think having this little uh kiosk downstairs that had like must have items or items that I would want to have on a a rental basis. I think it's a cool idea.
1: It's a great idea. I still have the June oven on my counter and I'd be happy to rent it to anybody who'd like to have a few hours.
3: (laughs) (laughs) I first started thinking about this idea of like kitchen as a service four or five years ago when the CEO of, of Electrolux Jonas Samuelson, he basically said we're exploring ways in which you can essentially hire out your dishwasher, essentially kind of Airbnb being it Mm -hmm and they never quite did that um that model but like uh, we're seeing new marketplaces spin up where people are basically using their kitchens as centers of economic entrepreneurism or innovation yeah, right. i think those are another kind of interesting models
0: i think we're going to see more of just the idea though of someone coming your home and saying i got some dishes to do i'm going to do dishes that just, <laughs> yeah that's that just that's weird i mean i have ordered
3: food from josephine josephine is a like one of those marketplaces that eventually went out of business but like i got some of the best peach cobbler I've ever had from this local woman who cooked out of her kitchen. Yeah.
0: I think that's brilliant. I think that's brilliant. There's a lot of amazing cooks that, you know, don't have the capacity to open a restaurant, but they could do it from their home. I think that's amazing.
2: I I mean, I have some friends who did this during the pandemic and they had a different menu every week and it's pretty interesting.
0: Would they do
1: my dishes too, Susan, or not?
2: I I don't know about that. I got to tell you guys, there's extensive studies done on dishwasher owners and users segmentations on how you load.
0: Oh, don't get started.
2: Look, nobody will touch my dishwasher in the house.
0: Don't even. No,
2: go. no, it has to be loaded a certain way. I
0: know, I know.
2: It's really tough for a lot of people.
0: Is that the person's fault or is that the developer's fault? Because the thing is, it's like you, instead of going down the path of we have to load it a certain way, make the machine so that it can be loaded in multiple ways. With
2: my shape of my dishes, there is the most efficient way to do it. The boy, the, so I'm the talking med- about
0: the idea that you have to put certain things on the top, and certain things only go on the bottom. I've been yelled at many times for this.
2: <laughs> well, I, I, this is
0: just one of those things where you capitulate and go fine, however, whatever. It's, it's all yeah.
2: <laughs> just all <laughs> right, <laughs> all right, Kevin. Retort to Tulu.
0: I just read that Mars has entered into an agreement with a uh, AI company. It's a company called Pippa. They're trying to find new plant based items, ingredients, molecules to be able to see its application in food. What's interesting about it to me is just the paradigm shift that, you know, some of these big CPGs companies are going into, just the idea of how they're thinking about it, uh searching a database or searching a, you know, a genome so to speak of plant hmm. molecules to be able to find ones that are going to work for the future. I just think that's fascinating. So Kevin, look, thing, you know, take a step back into
1: your your Previous life, working at innovation at General Mills or somebody else, how would you have applied
0: that? How would you have used it? I'll give you an example. I helped in the development and production of Green Giant used to have these frozen sauce bags. It was bags of frozen vegetables and little cubes of sauce. Oh, yeah. Getting those cubes to freeze because they were, you know, they were pretty concentrated in salt was almost impossible. Trust me, many nights staying up trying to figure that out. That would be a problem I would pose to it. And then I would ask it to come back with a solution that maybe has an organic or a natural labeling to it.
3: That's cool. We first saw IBM hiring out Watson as a general purpose AI to work with food companies of about four or five years ago. Right. Kind of like looking for flavor combinations as we start to digitize characteristics just of compounds, of flavors, et cetera. All right, I'll 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 take the next one. Uh, this is food tech adjacent. I think anything related to food delivery, I broadly bucket under food tech. And there's a, there's a company I saw at CS called the Fresh Portal is, is founded by a, a, a home builder in California. And he kept hearing from his, his clients like, Hey, I'm getting so much food delivered, so much stuff delivered, but I don't have anywhere to put it. So he basically built this thing called the Fresh Portal, uh, refrigerated cold storage locker. Huh. For food delivery mm. and other things like you can actually have Amazon boxes with whatever uh, ship there and it would be integrated with like delivery apps. So Amazon would have a code they could punch, close it. And then on the other side, you open it up, and you get the food out in your home.
2: It's kind of like the old milk uh, delivery things the house has hit. It all comes back around.
3: It comes back around. And you're seeing those are kind of the multi the multi storage lockers in condos. The people there's some startups doing those as well, where it actually mm-hmm. chills it. You could get it if you have your food delivered or, or keep it warm. It's, it's, it goes both ways. So,
0: all right, uh, one more. Yep. Yeah, one more. <laughs> Again, this is probably food tech adjacent in a sense, but I'm fascinated by it because of it seems like the upside that it's causing. And that's I just saw that Panera, you know, they launched like two years ago the coffee subscription model is now increasing their coffee subscription model to include drink subscriptions, and now they're doing a self service beverage. Um, you know, uh, model where if you have this subscription, uh, you can get unlimited beverages, uh, from their from their system. So I just think. It's Number one, it's a business model innovation, which I think is just fascinating because it works so well with coffee. But the fact that they're going into now all even cold beverages, I think is really cool.
2: They need to they need to up their game on the cold beverages and have a wider range.
0: Exactly. I wonder if that will, inc- if that will happen. Because Panera's beverage station is nothing special. No. <laughs> no, no, no. Yeah. So I wonder whether or not that, that will be part of it. Um, but
2: yeah, it could be, right? Because then there's a real pull. I mean, the coffee thing makes sense. That's so habitual. And in the morning and, you know, but the, the rest of the day, yeah, they're going to have to...
0: Yeah step it up. But what I find interesting about it is the idea that it's like uh, you know we're we're moving into all subscription models everywhere for everything and that um will it become a if to your point Susan and Charlie if if they really up their game on their cold model whether or not it becomes a competitor for things like Starbucks and other things that we're seeing subscriptions on because not everyone's a coffee person. Right. Some people want other beverages. So, anyway.
3: Yep. If you think beyond subscriptions to memberships, what I'm seeing a lot of innovation on with young kind of CPG owners and also some restaurants is this idea of, you know, using an NFT or some sort of like kind of a DAO-driven membership model as a way to really get close to your thousand true fans or your community. So where the cus- customer thinks they own something or they actually do own something, because if you look at what they there's, there's an it's, it's decentralized, it's owned. You can start to offer like kind of really exclusive membership things through your restaurant or your, your subscription. Like, hey, we have a new product. We want to trial it with you because you uh, you mm-hmm. bought this NFT showing your, your loyalty to my brand. So there's a lot of things that need to happen around Web3 to make it more user-friendly, both on the kind of the, the operator front as well as the consumer front. But once those hurdles get jumped over, I think we're going to see some really interesting new innovative business models that are basically building upon the membership model or, or the subscription model.
0: What's interesting is what you just mentioned about the desire to own something virtual, but in the previous one, talking about the not owner, owning something like a mixer or a dishwasher and renting it. It's just an interesting flip, I think, that's taking place in maybe the younger generation or maybe just all of us right now. Well, I think it gives you the opportunity, if you think about mass customization, to really continue to uh,
1: find the niche that works for me. Right. So I really want to belong to something or I want to be treated as a VIP in this particular setting or I want access to this exclusive experience. And so I'm willing to pay for that. Uh, but but, you know, that that has value to me where other things will not. Are we going five or is that it? I think we should go one more. But I mean, now, now I can I get ask a question, Susan, as a, as a boomer, I'm all about picking winners. Are you a participation ribbon kind of person or, or how does this work?
2: What? No. Okay. So I'm not a millennial, Charlie.
0: For judging, but though.
2: I personally, well, it's just up to Charlie and I. You, <laughs> okay. You don't need to know.
0: Being very honest. <laughs> it's completely random and arbitrary. Okay. It's
2: random and arbitrary.
0: Okay. Long as I know. Long as I know.
2: We're going to pick a winner in the end. All right, go. Here's your last chance.
0: I'm
3: going to circle back to beverages because I just love beverages. So you you may have heard of Cold Snap. They, they had a really successful... CS in 2021. Uh, it's a, a pod-driven ice cream making machine, but also margaritas, frozen drinks, frozen coffees, etc. What I liked about it was, um, if you think about like emerging markets where that don't have good cold chain delivery models, like Asia, Africa, cold chain really isn't built out, and also refrigeration is actually a lot harder. You don't get tons of refrigeration in the homes. They basically build a model that you can have shelf-stable pods. With liquids that you can instantly make ice cream, so think about all the energy that saves. Think of how you can bring ice cream to emerging markets, and he also standardized on the energy drink can. So he was looking for a way to not do this, where he basically create a big plastic pod. So he found that the energy energy drink can, like the the Red Bull, is is it's obviously recyclable, but also like it's really low cost. So all their shelf stable liquids that would come in this thing. And he developed a technology that can instant freeze anything, make margaritas, ice cream, and frozen coffees. And I thought that was a really cool product. Yeah, who doesn't want that? I want that.
2: All right, Kevin.
0: Oh, do I have one more? Yeah. Uh, well, my last one may sound pedestrian. The reason I say that is, is that's the one that really makes the most money for <laughs> corporations is making uh, this, making products on the same line with the same equipment uh that you sell in the same business model is typically what makes the most money for most companies.
2: You're not going to talk about flavor extensions.
0: No, not flavor extensions. I was reading General Mills's Q3 earnings call and uh they talked about how they had to adjust their formulations uh due to, you know, packaging issues and specification issues and supply chain issues across Uh, almost every one of their categories, that means they had to switch between like starches, fats, oils, and all that kind of stuff and still deliver on the same product. Mm. To me, that's extremely fascinating innovation, whatever's going on. And I don't think General Mills was just the one I read about. I'm sure other companies are doing extremely similar type of things, but whatever's going on back of house, there's some really, really smart stuff going on. I think the the innovation that allows you to continue to deliver
1: What you've promised on time is a really sneaky, smart way to think about innovation. It is kind of the block and tackle stuff that keeps you in business.
2: Because, I mean, supply chain continues to be an issue, right? So they are constantly tinkering and reformulating on the back end.
0: Because usually, when you change, if, say, for example, you had supply chain issues and you have to uh, reformulate a cereal, you'd have to open up the spec and change it so that the Mm -hmm. ingredient deck changes. So the fact that they're able to do it and not change that and not open the spec is mind-boggling to me how they're doing it. So there's some really interesting stuff going on. Well, Susan, I don't know about you. I guess I would I would give give Mike the prize for the sexiest innovations
1: mm-hmm. and Kevin probably the prize for the most relevant block and tackle that's probably going to contribute more to the bottom line.
2: Yeah, I think that's true. <laughs> I mean, so I don't know. How do you guys feel about that? We Mike, we just labeled you sexy and Kevin, we we labeled you block and tackle foundational. You know what?
0: <laughs> I'll take what I can get. We won't objectify them. That's Good right. job,
2: Charlie. That's right. Good job.
3: We do our best. <laughs>
2: I love <laughs> I loved it. I love the conversation.
3: This has been a blast.
2: Absolutely fascinating. Thank you so much for joining us, Mike.
0: Yeah, thank you. All right, we're gonna judge. Go ahead, Susan. <laughs>
2: General Mills presents a very special episode.
1: And on today's very special episode, what did we learn? What are the lessons we can take away and take into our hearts and live going forward?
2: I learned that you shouldn't judge people and you shouldn't judge innovation. Because some innovation is sexy and some is not, but it's all important.
0: I learned that I'm block and tackle. I'm not even sure what that means.
2: (laughs) Well, you're basic, Kevin. But as I just said...
0: I'm basic.
2: Basic and sexy both have a role. That's
1: right. And sometimes khakis and button-down can be just fine.
0: Doesn't basic have a meaning in millennial and Gen Z terminology?
2: It does in Gen Z, yeah.
0: Yeah. Kevin, you should feel very, very good about being basic. And it's something you can
1: tell your friends. And and I think put it on your social media handles, right? I'm I'm basic, Particularly your
2: younger friends. Yeah.
0: Right. Yeah. Right. It'll work well. It's good. I'm basic and proud.
2: <laughs> basic and proud.
0: <laughs> three Squares Dishing on the
1: food industry is created and hosted by Charlie Arnott, Susan Swally, and Kevin Ryan. If you would like to be a sponsor of Three Squares, you can reach out to us at threesquaresmail at gmail.com. That's the numeral three Squaresmail at gmail.com. We'd love to have a conversation with you. Hey, thanks to Mike Wolf for joining us for our table discussion on this very special episode this week. As always, thanks to our producers, Dave Beasing and Jason Jackson at Sound The Brands. And most of all, thank you for listening. Please like the show, share with your friends. We want to continue the conversation and we want you to be involved. Food is our passion. We're glad it's yours too. We'll set the table again soon on Three Squares.